Hello, world. I'm Eric Dye. I'm Jeremy Smith. And I'm Phil Schneider. And you're listening to the 154th Church Mag Podcast. Steve Jobs would not let his kids use the tablets unless they were creating something. He did not want them to mindlessly consume something. Pencil and a pen. A pen and paper. Like, that's all technology, right? Don't let your kids play on tablets. Don't give them, give them coffee. And especially, don't give them weed. This week's episode is brought to you by Rethinking Your Church Website Strategy. This ebook from Jonathan Malm covers what information you need on your church website, how to help your guests find what they need, and user experience information. All these principles are applied to a real-life church website so you can follow along. Get ready to change the way you think about your church website. Get ready to make something completely unique and completely effective for your church. Get your copy today from Church Mag Press at churchmag.press. That's churchmag.press. This week on the podcast, we talk about effects of mobile technology on ourselves, our kids, and ultimately our culture. If you want to join the conversation, ask a question, or leave a comment, send us an email to podcast at churchmag, or use the fancy schmancy churchmag podcast hashtag cmagcast. Now, let the fun begin. Welcome to another episode of the Church Mag Podcast. Eric Dye here along with Jeremy Smith and Phil Schneider. Got the whole gang here today. Uh, we have been standing, standing, probably sitting. We've been sitting around here for the last 15 minutes just breathing into our microphones, trying to figure out what the heck we're going to be talking about. <laughs> you know, sometimes we're like, oh, hey, you know, here's four or five topics that we can talk about. Okay, let's pick one, and then we just pick talk about that, or we talk about two of them. But for some reason this morning, we're just like, Anyway, we we came up with a topic, kids and devices, you know, smartphones. Basically, I guess when we say devices, in some ways it feels like we should define it, but in some ways it feels like we shouldn't need to define it. When we say devices, you may immediately think of like iPads or smartphones or something like that. But as we were kind of pitching some topic ideas around, Phil brought up the idea of the fact that when he was young, he had a Game Boy. Well, a Game Boy is a device as well. And with the new Nintendo Switch coming out, that's yet another portable quote unquote device that we have. So in general, with your with your kids, how do you deal with devices? Devices being basically face to screen portable television game machines. Well, let's define what is it that we're afraid of? Why is it that we have to even limit anything? So we're all on the same page. Right. Well that that's that that's been that's been our approach. Um there is a uh I can't think of their name. It would probably be helpful, but uh, they 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 write and speak a lot about education and, and kids and parenting and, and some just a lot of good practical things. And they told a story about a little girl who was never allowed to have sugar. And one time she was visiting someone's house, and they couldn't find the little girl. And they finally they finally found her outside, and she was outside, and she had grabbed an entire pound of sugar, and she was just eating it like plain sugar just eating it like she grabbed it ran off and was hiding and it kind of illustrated this idea of when you limit your kids intently that it it creates it creates this unbalanced like desire whereas if you just let your kids have have full access and you present them with healthier alternatives that eventually that that shiny newness coolness goes away and eventually they will um, pursue the thing that, that 
that makes them feel better, that's more gratifying, that's, you know, the, a, a better choice. So it's all about presenting your kids with with more choices. So if you don't like your kids spending a lot of time on a screen, don't just create boundaries and say, oh, you only have an hour to do this, etc. But give them healthy alternatives. Now, mind you, that requires more thoughtful parenting and you can't be lazy, but then you don't have that, 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 uh, I mean, said, well, I guess what, it, what it, you use the sugar analogy, but what is the concern? What is the fear if our kids use devices? I think the fear is that at depending upon the earliness of the age that you are reshaping their brain. Um, mm-hmm. and it could, it's opportunity cost that they, their brain can become more adept using technology, but it could become less adept at other things like deep thinking skills. Okay. So using technology would not allow us to think deep. No, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't disallow, but it does not enhance or develop those areas of the brain. So it limits, it limits that process, which ultimately is kind of saying because it disallows, it's not allowing us to think deep. No, again, it's not a, a matter of like, you're not allowed. It's a matter of like, it doesn't force you to do it. So like, for example, like if, like I've got my students at school all use laptops and have been using laptops since they were in sixth grade. And before that they used, um, you know, um, I have my younger students and you before laptops, they had iPads at school. And it is amazing to me how little they know about how to solve a problem. If they cannot Google the answer, they are absolutely lost. They don't know how to think through things. And I'm not saying they're dumb. I'm just saying they, they don't have the mental fortitude to dig into a problem and really figure it out. If the problem doesn't, if a solution doesn't readily present itself, they are confused and upset. And I think that that's, that's an effect of technology use or, or, or over dependence on technology from an early age. So when they were young, that they, because they were young and used it, that they were, that they now have problems with that. Yeah, they didn't, they, they didn't learn how to think through things. Okay. Now, see, fundamentally, I don't believe that there is a causal relationship. Are there, are th- I think there are too many other factors that feed into that, that feed into that. Sure. And I'm just, I'm just trying to find the base fears that come with this. I'm not necessarily saying it's correct or incorrect. Right. I just okay. want to know what the fears are. He's counseling us, Eric. He's counseling us. I, well, oh, I, want to, I want us to be on the same page. I want us to, because I don't want to go into this. Is this awkward being on the same sofa, Phil? I hope not. You're you're, you're kind of crowding me. There's not enough room. There's not enough room here. Move your legs. Because I've I've on my end heard also that, and this is just a hundred and one things. I've also heard that technology will inhibit your brain from developing like the physical brain matter. I've heard that's because of technology. People are too distracted. I've heard because of kids using technology that they actually don't develop physically. And so I've heard all those arguments as well. Right. And, and, and what, if we look back, um, there, there's a term, there, there's a term in, in media called rear view, rear view mirrorism. Okay. And it's basically talking about, you know, looking back at, at, uh, new technology often looks back at older technology okay so like when when television came out it mimicked radio until it came it, it came as its own internet technology mimic mimicked print and mimics tv until it's developing into its own medium okay until it gets its own identity and if we look at the process of television I remember I remember hearing a lot of these same arguments back in the day about watching too much TV, TV etc. But what I find so ironic is that the people that were saying that, like our parents and grandparents, today 
are those that have probably a harder time just turning the TV off, ironically enough. There's also the issue... Am I the only one that's experienced that? Yeah. No, you're not. You're, you're not the only person. I think that there's also this fear, and this is probably the biggest one I've experienced, is that there's this fear that's because we use technology at young age, we become addicted to it. That, there, that we have this addiction to technology. And that, that we do this as older people as well, that there's a lot of teenagers, there's a lot of other people that have an addiction to technology. I think that's actually the biggest one I've experienced conversation-wise. Yeah, and, and it's, I, it is a real myth, if that makes any sense. Hmm. Like, is it a myth? You can't be addicted to a behavior. You are addicted to the the sensation the behavior provides. That makes any sense. Right. Right. Like like they talk about how the fact that, that somebody retweeting you or liking gives you uh, a, a quick a quick high, essentially. Not that it's bad. It's just what happens. It's just chemistry. Exactly. And I have, like, my daughter, um, when my wife was working, my daughter would go with one of her grandmothers. And they, one grandmother gave her her phone all the time. And when we pick her up and bring her home, she would be the surliest, meanest, like, least, like, she, like, least like a little girl. Because she was like detoxing, because she'd been on a phone or on that t on the TV all for eight hours, and it was like it was it was disturbing how how violent she would get sometimes. And I got one of my nephews; he's a phone addict. If he sees a phone, he will fight and scream and claw until he can get it. Yep. So let me ask: Is that an addiction? I don't know what else to call it. It may not be the, the most clinical definition of an addiction, but it's certainly addictive behavior. Mm, sure. And I, I think that that's the, the biggest concern is, is we would say that there's an addiction to our phones, that we are dependent on it. Because we expose our kids. Yeah, honestly, I, I, I can't help but wonder if maybe if maybe as as parents and as adults there's there's a a real opportunity for us to really look in the mirror on this thing because i i you know as we're talking about this i'm imagining this parent you know like the child's like dad 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 and the dad's looking at his phone he's like hold on hold on i'm writing a tweet about how kids shouldn't use technology you know <laughs> you know just just this juxtaposition that 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 occurs or people that that say Wow, look at those teenagers over there. They got their their all they got their they got their faces in their phones, you know? They're not talking to anybody. And you know, I'm looking at the adult and I'm thinking, "Well, you're not over there talking to them." You know? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of like well, if if you think of the adults above us or maybe maybe two notches above us, they are phone users. Like my grandma gets on the phone all day. And she's she's talking to people, she's connecting with individuals. But her gener- her parents would be like one. Look at you on that phone. Why don't you just go see somebody? If you guys, if you guys had to guess which generation struggles with first of all TV use, because that was the original. Oh my goodness, it's going to destroy our generation. Which generation spends the most time on TV? Statistically, oh, probably the sixteen above above crowd. One sorry, the sixteen above crowd. Sixteen above, yes, you're correct. The sixty-five and above. Yep. If you had to guess which generation struggles with mobile devices in general, that includes tablets and phones, which generation would you say struggles with that one the most? That's a, that's a 40-year-olds and up. 
It's the 30, yeah, 35 to 60. Yep. Almost one and a half times as much as teenagers. Yeah. So but when we part, say, but, but look at our children. Whole, it's, it's partly because those kids are in school half, you know, half their lives and can't access their devices. When you give those kids unfettered time, that time is spent entirely on a screen. Well, no, no, no. It's not how much they use it. That's not the question. It's how much do they struggle with dependency with that? Well, but do do kids struggle or do they just embrace it? Yeah, see, I think that that's, that's a, that, that might be a difference. That I can't help but wonder if those addictive characteristics that rise up happen more for adults than it does children because children always have that fallback of the parent, but adults don't have the fallback. They have to, you know, as an adult, you have to have the self-control. And I think that as parents, that is probably the biggest thing that you can instill in your children isn't a rule of only an hour a day, but the teaching them self-control and doing it by example. (laughs) I heard heard of a mom, I heard of a mom that, that their kids had to do like an hour of reading for every 15 minutes of game time or something like that. So basically, their kids could only play like 15 minutes of video games a day. Now, I don't know, you know, if you don't know much about video games, let me tell you that by the time you power up the system, and God forbid there's an update. Oh, yeah. No joke. You're not going to do anything in 15 minutes. (laughs) Well, and like, you know, for my daughter, like she, on an average day, she will read for two hours. So I don't mind if once a week I let her get her Kindle out and she sits down and plays for two and a half hours because she's problem solving. She's learning as she plays, but it's, it's a two and a half hour gaming session balanced down by five days of intensive reading. But, and not, let's not forget that the reading is, is absorbing a medium. And there was a time where, where we called people that read a lot bookworms and that they should, you know, put that book down and go outside and play. Well, yeah. I mean, 120 years ago, there were churches who campaigned against novels because novels were considered an evil. If you read novels, you're going to hell. This is something that I've been thinking about all week. And I probably, I wish I would have thought of this sooner. This might, this might have been a, a good topic on its own. And maybe that's what topic we ended up going on after all, I guess. But um, I've been thinking about all week this concept of it seems like people have either a, a disdain for the past or a um, nostalgia that only sees it through rose-colored glasses. And, 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 and the opposite of that is where they, they, ha- they have a fear of the future or they're obsessed with the new. It, it seems like that those things pair together really well. Either you, you know, hate the past, love the future, or you love the past or hate the future kind of a thing. And I, I just think that both both views and both trains of thought are so incorrect you know you you, you can't you, you can't do that you know you have to be cautious about the future you have to be mindful of the past and it seems like and if it was you know, unfortunately if it was that simple it would be an easy fix i think that it comes from a good place and i think we've talked about this in the past of of working with fear and everything the issue is the that we have this initial premonition of Maybe technology is bad, and then we run with it, and we go crazy with it. I, just last night, I was reading my Facebook, and my my mother-in-law posted this article from a WordPress site about how this one antibiotic is going to destroy lives. And I can't imagine sharing any scientific data about an antibiotic and if it's good or bad, because I would lead astray someone that maybe needs to have antibiotics and I'm not understanding the science behind it. And I think that that's the 
the difficult part in this. And how many times do we do that with anything online or have these quick snap judgments of, well, clearly this is a thing that you shouldn't be doing. Because the fact of the matter is, is an addiction has a compulsion and the inability to stop. If we were to say we are unable to stop, then it's an addiction. But I wonder if it's actually an addiction as opposed to something else is going on. Is it, it's, give, give us the definition of addiction again. An impulsion or what did I say? It's an impulsion or an, an inability to stop. And, and it's causing your life problems. I think, but see, hold on. But, but the problem with the definition is, is that sometimes the fear is that some of these definitions, some of these problems won't be identified till years later. Yeah. But don't you think it can even be identified even in the short term, Phil? Like just, you know, kind of like Tom did the thing where he went out, he went without his phone for a day, just making the mindful, the mindful action of when someone's at your house, turning your phone off, or when you're out to dinner, turning your phone off, or like, like my phone has this cool feature where if I set it on its face, you can't get any notifications. So when people are at the house, I just, I just set it away. And it's some like when people leave the house, oftentimes I, I can't find my phone because I don't know where I left it. Um, <laughs> and there's and there's good things about taking a Sabbath and being able to just walk away. But I would say I don't think, at least from the way Tom described it, that he has an addiction to a phone. Does he probably look at his phone way too much? Sure. Does he find himself going to it nonchalantly and maybe even unconsciously? Right, sure. And I do as well. Those are all true statements that he said on the podcast. Um, but he was also to go an entire day without it. No issues. He didn't sit there scratching himself. Oh my goodness. Look at what's happening. I don't have it. And, and I go to the, when I talk to people about addictions um, is that the, the, if you look at something like nausea, when someone's vomiting, why is it that they're vomiting? And we recognize that that's the symptom that's happening, but it could be because the person's pregnant. It could be because the person has the flu or um, has food poisoning. The reason behind it is different. And we would certainly not give the person that's pregnant medication to fix that. Right. But my point is that it's hard to say, well, it's not affecting my life. So it's not a problem yet. When one, it's your life. You can't tell what changes are happening behind the scenes. Like, like we, we are semi-transcendent we can't totally see ourselves. Um, I always think of that, that scene in A Beautiful Mind where, you know, Russell Crowe, John Nash is saying, if only I can think of a mathematical problem to, to solve this. And the doctor says, your mind can't solve it. Your mind is the problem. And that's well, the issue we're in. A lot of times we're trying to self-diagnose. You can self-diagnose. Beyond that fact, I think we're ignoring the simple truth that technology always changes. And that technology is going to change this. It's going to cause um, lo- slow but fundamental changes in who we are and how we operate and how we think. Our brains are too malleable, even at an older age, for us to not be altered by our technology. Well, so, 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 is it also possible? Right, sorry. No, I was just going to say that, that that society as a whole is that way. So would, would it not be more profitable instead of just creating rules for our kids that we actually teach and instill in them fundamentals so that when new technology comes on the scene after we're dead and gone, they know how to navigate that from a biblical worldview? Absolutely. 
And that's what I'm trying to do with my daughter. I'm trying to explain to her, like, honey, your Kindle's not bad. It's about a balance. You need you need a multitude of, multitude of sources. You need to experience life from a, from a multitude of angles with different activities. Your brain needs um, diversity of input. Absolutely. So here here's the question with that. Um, if we if we were to say, you know what, no technology for our kids, that is just an absolute not option. Are we possibly saving them because they are not becoming addicted? They're able to socialize with people and everything is much better. Is that a possibility? So, yes. Is it also possible? Do we know for a fact that a technology-driven world where that's how you're going to apply for college, that's how you're going to pass high school, that's what you're going to do for your career, are we also actually inhibiting their entire future? Is that also a possibility? Absolutely. Yes, two things. Number one, you're not only inhibiting their future, but again, you're not teaching them any fundamentals yeah. like what Phil's doing so that when they become adults, they're not able to navigate this thing. But that's the concern is it, because it's the sphere of addiction and my kid's not going to be normal, let's just take it all away. Now, right. that's why that's I the, asked that original the, fear. That's the Amish route. Right. That it, absolutely the Amish oh, wow. route done. Phil, you are so right. I, I've never thought about people. I never thought about those that just simply create an arbitrary rule. Only this much time on the tablet is an Amish approach. But it, it, it kind of is. So, so the, first of all, the science does not say that it makes kids unsociable. It does not say that there's an addiction. In fact, us adults have the addiction, not the kids, if anybody. And that freaks people out. So we deny, oh, there's no addiction. I'm fine. And then and then we start to market, hey, if you put your phone down, we'll give you free ice cream at Chipotle, which is great. I love free ice cream, so I'll take it. But it's super easy for me to put my right. phone down. So I think there's a couple, there, there's a few takeaways here. Like when it comes to our kids, I think that teaching fundamentals is much more advantageous than creating arbitrary rules. That would be the first thing, okay? And the, the second thing is that we become more self-aware and reflective of how we spend our own time and how we approach things. And then finally, like, you're learning some skills and you're, I mean, how many YouTubers would not be able to do YouTube if they did not have that technology background? How many people would not be able to understand Excel? I think to my own life, I would not have gotten into video editing and programming had my parents limited... Not that the, not that I was obsessed and compulsive about it, but that I was using technology fairly frequently, and I was ahead of the game to most people in technology. Right. Th- this is why I've enjoyed, you know, and I know you have too as well, Phil, John Dyer's approach to, to technology saying, look, it's neutral. It's what you do with it. Because, you know... He doesn't say that. His point is it's not neutral. It's going to change you. The question is just which direction okay, is going to change right. you. Oh, thank you, thank you. I always get that wrong, um, but, but th- that the, the punchline. I always get the punchline right, right? Yeah. Um, just the, the the setup. I always screw that up. Sorry, John. <laughs> Sorry, John. Um, seriously, every time I do. Um, but but that is so true because we, we we easily forget that our highways, our sewer systems, the nails in our house, the words we put on paper, the wood that was cut for, like everything, the book, a book, a flipping book and. Pe- Pencil and a pen, a pen and paper, like that's all technology, mm-hmm. a right? A sharpened stick, you, using paper to clean your derriere. And if you if you recognize, 
if you recognize it's causing problems, then that's when you start to address it. Yeah. But I think sometimes but, I assume because others did. I can't well Here's one thing I want to throw out there. This came up. So I'm teaching U.S. history, and we are looking at the 50s um, this past week. And I showed my students a um, a chart showing a TV adoption rates. Okay. And there's two p- things I want to point out is that from 1950 to 2000, you could watch the number of, of TV owning households like increase 10 times over 50 years. Okay. And I said it took, it took 50 years for TV to reach saturation in this country. It took smartphones 10 years. Yep. That kind of worries me. Right. Not not some sort of knee jerk like smartphones are evil, but like we are adopting technology far faster than we can truly assess its effects. Mm, okay. And then secondly, I watched this is a more cultural thing. This is where Eric mentioned society before. So you, I'm looking at the top. It should be top shows on TV, and it showed their their market share. So 1950, the top show was the Texaco Star Theater, and it got a 61.2% market share. So two-thirds of the country watched it. Granted, there are only three TV stations in 1950, but you know, two-thirds of the country watched one show. The top that's a show, lot of power. Yeah. That's top, a lot of power. It, and that's dangerous. That can be dangerous. But in, nine, in 2000, the top show was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and it, its market share was, give me a guess. Thirteen percent. As eighteen percent. So that means that that in fifty years, our culture diversified enough to where the top show got less than one fifth, and there were how many other minor shows scoring points? And my my point in saying that is that was two thousand. Now we all have smartphones with Netflix, Hulu, Vimeo, YouTube, you know, Sling. We are all creating our own individualized media streams. We have lost the common culture that TV created for us. Right. But that, that, Phil, you have to understand that when it comes to media, that that is the direction that it always takes. Media always finds its niche. At one time, there was only but a, f- a few magazines. And then magazines, just before they died out, were reinvigorated when they became niche publications. And so... That, that that's 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 just the path of media. Agreed, agreed. But my my point is my point is that though, I understand. But you watch that magazines faded and died. I don't see video fading and dying. I see video continuing on. If anything is going to get enhanced and, and and grow and become more powerful. And my point in that is that we're coming to a point now where I don't think we're gonna, we're going to see just the over nichification of our cultural society, and that could lead to even further division politically and socially. Okay, and, and yeah, and I would. I mean, you've written about that regarding Facebook, and I I definitely see that. You know, I definitely see that creating division, but I, but, but that's that's one of the effects of tech, of the smartphone adoption rate that we're not looking at, and so like we can't figure out why this country is so divided. That's not the answer, but certainly a factor. Yeah, that's but I think that's human nature more than it does with technology, because I mean, for the, for ages, people tend to flock with people that are like them. Oh, I agree. But, but, but what, what? Go ahead, Jeremy. The issue with that is, is you thought about your answer. So that's that's a rational thought. I mean, you think about what's going on, and that's a scary thing because there's actually some science behind that. 
And that I think that's the difference in this is that it's a lot of the other stuff that we're worried about. There's no science to support. Oh, agreed. Agreed. I'm just, but like, that's a legit fear that, and it's not even a fear because I told my students when we're discussing this, I said, look, diversity of input is great because there you get diversity of analysis and ideas and we need that. But if the diversity of input leads to, um, an intractable, you know, conflict, then we can't move forward as a nation or as a people group. And that is what worries me. Yeah. And, you know, again, I really just see us falling back on that, that concept of fundamentals. You know, if you're, if, if you, if you're bringing the right kind of concepts to the approach, the argument, the situation, it's really, it really has nothing to do with the tech. It has to do with how we're using it. And because there's something huge about for people that are creative. I, we, I said this quote a couple different times on this podcast about how Steve Jobs would not let his kids use the tablets unless they were creating something. He did not want them to mindlessly consume something. And so there's this background of we need to make sure that we understand the reason and the even the intention behind it, because we could really have a problem with how much sugar we eat. We could really have a problem with um, how much water we drink. Um, but it's not like we would say, let's get rid of that. It's not that you can get addicted to water because you can't, um, but you can actually have a problem with sugar. Same thing with coffee. Um, we have an issue with coffee, and so that might be something that we need to look at. But we could also just be drinking coffee because we like it. It's not that we should, because someone had an addiction one time, we should run away in fear. We have to understand the intention behind it and why that's something that could be and should be taken away. I am absolutely addicted to coffee. Um, how many cup, cups of coffee do you drink a day? Um, between six and seven. Yeah, that's getting up there, but you're not yeah. even close to intoxication concerns. So, oh no, no, I, I, I because I have noticed, I switched, and I'm now splitting my day between coffee and tea. Mm-hmm. But you actually have to drink twenty cups of coffee for there to be a physical withdrawal. Of oh, present. You sure? Because I have headaches when I'm drinking coffee. Sure, you've had headaches, but that's just the blood flow. That's a chemistry thing. That's not an addiction thing. Wow. So, but but see here, that's a perfect example of Phil being mindful and and taking taking fundamentals and applying it to the situation. You know, it's not just like yesterday. I had no coffee in the morning at all. I just had Irish breakfast tea, and it was super. It was not nearly as satisfying, and I was super sleepy. But um, I powered through. And it should also be noted that you can have problems and not struggle from physical withdrawals. So you can have problems because, I mean, I, it's Colorado. This is the marijuana state. It's really, <laughs> really difficult to have physical dependency with uh, marijuana, though it is it is absolutely possible. And people say it's not and they don't know the science behind it. But if you are using and you are a federal employee, you're going to get fired. That's going to cause you problems. And if you can't, if you don't want to stop because you're numbing your emotions, all of a sudden we have the enough details to say that you have an addiction. So as far as kids and tech and technology and ourselves, what do you think? What do we think the bottom line or the, or the takeaway from all of it is? Well, guys? Eric, if I can sum this up, I think we should, I think I can sum it up with this. Don't let your kids play on tablets. Don't give them, give them coffee. And especially don't give them weed. Okay. So the moral of the story is is don't go to the Starbucks in Colorado. Yeah. Gotcha. Put down Minecraft. It's evil. Satan gave it to you. 
Yeah. Talk, about, talk about a device. I that's, bet you there's a fundamentalist blog out there somewhere. It says Minecraft is evil. It makes you let, you let you let you play God. It's it is, sure. because it is from the because ser- Enderman. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, there's zombies in there. What are we teaching? Well, but, but yeah, the sheer idea that you got to create your own world. It turns you into God. You are pl- taking the place of the of the Holy One, and how dare you? Phil, are are, are you talking about that secret blog that you have? Yeah, I, uh, guys, <laughs> there are times I have thought about creating a secret fundamentalist blog and just putting things out there and seeing how many folks in my church share it. <laughs> I know what they like. I could totally... I just throw a little bit of blood moon magic in there and some astrology. It's amazing to me how, like, nowadays Christians are all into the moon and the stars. And when I was a kid... I'd have been burned at the stake for that, mm-hmm. but whatever. It's like that that meme where your mom it says, "Parents in 1997, do not trust anyone on the internet. They are liars and pedophiles." And then in 2017, look what I found on the internet. It must be true. <laughs> you know? Well, no, there's the Uber one of I'm going to use the internet to call a stranger so I can get in the car with them. There's that too. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that there's I think that there's a lot of good that can come of it. And to blindly say let's get rid of all of it, let's burn it all down is is a super scary thing. Technology is coming. Brace yourself, okay? So learn how to deal with it as it comes, because you deciding not to adopt it, you creating rules and restraints is not going to make it go away. So then, knowing that it's going to show up. Teach yourself, teach your kids how to approach it, how to handle it when it's before them, because it's not going away. Let's, it's just not going away. No, let's be clear. This is now a kingdom issue. If you or your church do not know how to respond to technology, how are you going to respond when we absolutely can clone human beings? How are you going to respond when people begin to you know, abandon the actual to live in a dirt digital world full time? How are you going to respond when all manner of ethical and moral and spiritual questions arise at, at the advent of new technology if you have failed to even analyze or experience moderate levels of technological adoption we have now? This is nothing compared to what's coming. The singularity is on the way, my friends. And if there's a fear, maybe our fear is actually in our pride that we need to take some time to invest in our kids as opposed to seeing a Facebook story, snap judgment, kids, you have to get off there because I don't like the way that it's making you interact with me because I'm not going to change. I'm going to make my kids change. Oh, Snapchat. I think it's that, that, that statement is fair and unfair, Jeremy, because if you identify unhealthy behavior in your child, like their attitude is adjusting to technological use, that's your job to stop that. Absolutely. Yeah, but people, people don't take the, they don't do that. I mean, when I think about myself, like if I have a choice of trying to teach my kids something or just create an arbitrary rule to get them out of my hair, I, I have a tendency to want to just get him out of my hair. I mean, because that's the easiest route. I mean, let's be honest, right. right? And how's that? How's that different than giving a child an iPad? Is the issue the technology, or is the issue actually just lack of parenting? And we would like to blame technology because otherwise it's my fault. Well, we we have plenty of kids in our generation that were quote unquote raised by the TV, and we definitely have a generation coming up that has been raised by the app store. And I would say that we have one of the most creative and narrative generations that have ever lived oh so true so true yeah well, possibly but also i'll counter with this statement here like my students at school have been using computers for years right yep. and many of them are intensely creative but they do not know how to use their computer to the fullest extent 
like they don't have to use the one app they use. But like I made a cool. student statement the other day, like guys, if you don't know how to use the computer itself on a fundamental level, you're going to get locked out because see you're coming up. Like I came up behind the baby boomers who didn't know how to use, they hunted and pecked on the keyboard. They didn't know how to use technology. So I'm constantly impressing people at work with what I can do on a computer because I understand the computer at a fundamental level. My students don't, they understand an app or two. And you know, you need to learn how to use a computer in its whole so you can be, because you're going to come behind my generation and we're not going to give you, we're not going to give you a time of day because you don't know Jack compared to us. Maybe, maybe Phil, I don't know. This is, this is interesting. When we see, when we see the popularity of Apple, I mean, isn't that what Apple is? Like it's all tight in a box. You can't break into it. If it breaks, you take it to the store and we'll give you a new one kind of a thing. So I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the case. I remember having a similar situation with somebody that worked for me, Phil, where I showed them how to organize files and he was so impressed with how you could create folders and you could organize them. He said he went home the next, he went home that day and organized all of his MP3s because they were just a mess because he didn't, he didn't know he didn't know how to do that. He didn't understand like C prompt, like C drive. He didn't understand how his computer worked at all. Just like you're saying, all he knew was apps. He didn't know how like the fundamentals of how it worked. I mean, you know, he never started a program from C prompt. You know, and that is an advantage that we have. But I can't help but wonder if, as technology progresses, if that knowledge and that understanding um, is going to become less important. I'm afraid. It's like saying, it's like saying, hey, I know how a car works, you know, got to repair it, da 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 da. Well, no, you can own a car and not know how to repair it. I mean, everybody can do that, right? You just take the mechanic. So I kind of wonder if that's what's going to happen with computing computers. Now, mind you, if you understand how your car works, you can become a better car owner. That's true, but it's not fundamental. I, mean, I think it depends on the car thing. You can go, you can go into a mechanic, and that doesn't affect your profession. My point was just that. Like I, my bosses didn't understand computers. And so I was able to excel and move forward in my career because I did. My point is that though my students, when they come through, their bosses are going to have been raised on computers, not on iPads. And so we're going to understand computers. Right. And, 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 and computer, computers will still run businesses in 20 years. iPads, will, you know, tablet-based technology won't, I don't think, I can't, no, I could be wrong. But unless it becomes more powerful, faster, and more um, um, universal, and more, um, where the technology can be more compatible with other, other devices, I don't see tablet technology taking over the workplace for another 20 years. I don't, I don't know, 20, 20 years ago, when I, when I realized what, web technology could do i remember saying one day i bet you all of our apps will just be online and as we see google apps and we see gmail becoming more predominant i can't help but wonder if you know that still may happen at the same time in the flip side with things like security and raw processing power it does have to be local so i don't know i, I can kind of see it both going both ways and i also think that you talked, Phil. You talked about like the pecking. I think that at one point it's going to become voice recognition, and that's literally going to be the majority of the way people do things. Not not for precision and everything else, but um, just like handwriting. I mean, when's the last time you? Well, maybe Phil, you're a teacher, but Eric, when's the last time you used cursive other than to sign your name? Well, yeah, the cursive thing is an interesting thing because I feel like 
schools are are still teaching oh, I cursive. Use, I, I never use cursive. They're still no, teaching I, cursive. I, I, they never taught I, typing. I, I think actively, by the time I actively rail against teaching cursive at school. I think it's a waste of time. Yeah, I, I actively rail against that. While schools are still teaching cursive, I feel like by the time they get around to teaching typing and making that a requirement for younger kids, that it's quite possibly what Jeremy's saying, and you won't even need to know how to type. Because I feel like I need, I'm like, hey, kids, you need to learn how to type, you need to learn how to type. But at the same time, I'm like, well, maybe you won't actually need to type, because they can type on their I, their tablet. I can't really type very well on a tablet, so I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, I, and I honestly think that at some point yeah. it's going to be a matter of you just don't have to worry about typing in general. They'll do. They will do the grammar and the editing and all that stuff for you all as right. well. Well, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we're seemingly moving there quite quickly. So let's make sure that we learn some fundamentals, so that when these things actually come upon us, we'll be able to make godly decisions. Send us an email, subscribe, and search for previous episodes of the Church Mag Podcast by visiting Church Mag. You'll find a link on our main menu. Go to churchm.ag. That's Church Mag, churchm.ag. Also, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, and don't forget to tell your church tech friends all about Church Mag. Until next week. Be like Phil. Think through your answers. That's my life motto. Just be like Wait, Phil. WWPD. I don't know if I want to take responsibility for all that. <laughs> The Church Mag Podcast is proudly hosted on buzzsprout.com. 